Learning to draw is not just a matter of shapes and shades. Our delightful guest today, Inshal Chenet, will invite us to consider drawing with art theory. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Before we get started, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the bell to join our channel. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik. Today I'm talking with my fellow instructor at Homeschool Connections, the super creative Inshal Shanae, about drawing with art theory. Inshal Shanae and his wife are both proud homeschool graduates. Mr. Shanae has lived in 18 different places around the globe since he was born in Bedford, Texas. Mr. Shanae comes from a family of seven, and his father served in the United States Air Force. After serving a year in NET Ministries, Mr. Shanae went on to attend Wyoming Catholic College and received his BA in Liberal Arts. He teaches high school science and history in Southeast Michigan and is currently writing his first book, Astronomy and Wonder. Mr. Shanae is a certified COR backpacking instructor and a wilderness first responder. On the side, he writes sacred icons. Mr. Shanae loves spending time with his wife and three children, most of all. And in our show notes, you can find Inshal Shanae and his courses at Homeschool Connections. Inshal, thank you so much for coming back to the program again. Thank you for having me again. Oh, yeah. We're going to have fun. So we're talking about art today. We're talking about art theory. Start us off with how your interest in art got ignited. My interest in art started in high school. I didn't do a ton of art before then, but we belonged to a a homeschool co-op. And in the co-op, we had a class on iconography. One of the mothers had been drawing sacred icons for a while, and she taught all of us how to do so. And I latched onto it. I loved the idea of expressing and showing the beauty of the saints in this strong, traditional iconographic form. One of the cool things about icons is they have a art theory built into them. They They have a set of ways you do things ways you think about the art itself. And I've always appreciated that about art. Art that's able to show a depth of things, that's able to show a beauty to things. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. I think a lot of and I think a lot of people tend to think of art as just a kind of meaningless thing. We have a lot of artists nowadays in popular or modern art that do really banal and meaningless art, or they have a meaning that's so hidden, you couldn't tell what it is unless it was explained to you. I was at the National uh, Museum of Art in DC, and they had in one room the uh, Stations of the Cross, and it was a bunch of paintings with random lines on them. And I could not tell. There was no sign that said which station was was which. And I could not even guess. I tried to guess, but there was nothing that indicated to me what I was looking at. I would not have realized it was the Stations of the Cross if there wasn't a sign saying so. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what that reminds me of is many years ago, my husband sharing with me a book by Tom Wolfe called The Painted Word. And the, the basic idea of it is that modern art were the, the paintings themselves were illustrations of ideas rather than the art itself igniting the viewer in some way. It was like an explanation of a theory almost. Yeah, that's that's so interesting because that's the opposite of what we want art to be. The idea behind art is the fact that we know there are deeper realities around everything. And each of us see different things about that. The artist is able to see what they see. They're able to uh, see the depths that they can uniquely notice and bring it out and invite other people to notice that. Ooh. It sounds it sounds kind of subjective to say, oh, the artist sees a beauty that other people don't see. But it's really clear when you think of your spouse or your parents. You see a beauty in your spouse that no one else sees. And if you could bring that nobility or that that beauty that they have out that other people could see it, how wonderful would that be? Mm. Wow. I love that. Yeah, so the artist, uh, in John Paul's letter to the artist in 1999, he said so much about that, that kind of intimate and sacred place of reaching to express something that only God can fully express. And yet, it's in that, I'm calling it in the reaching, that that beautiful thing of co-creating with God happens. And so, you can reveal the beauty of something as it's shown to you by God. Yeah, no, that's exactly. That is, uh, C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce has an artist who's, uh, who's going up to heaven. And there's an interesting conversation where uh, the man learns that there might not be uses for artists in heaven, because in heaven, everyone can already see God perfectly. So uh, it's, it's a little bit of a test on the man. C.S. Lewis doesn't fully mean that there's no use for artists and beauty in heaven, but uh, he's just mentioning the fact that, oh, if, if we could all see God perfectly as, as well as anyone else, then why would we have artists? Um, and the reality is we can't. We, we only can see so much. Wow. I love that. All right. So, so get us to the starting point of what's important about understanding the theories of art. So I want to share with you guys a, um, a painting. If you're listening um, on the podcast and can't see the painting, it's a painting by um, uh, Thomas Cole. It's called the Voyage of Life, uh, and it's it's the Voyage of Life is a set of paintings, and this one is a youth. Let me let me pull it up. Uh, and and I will have a link to that painting in the show notes uh, for everybody. So this painting is a huge painting. It's wider than my arm span. I got to see it in person once, and it is just it is just beautiful. Wow! It is a set of four paintings. Each of them has a man during his life. The first one is a child on a little golden boat with an angel holding the rudder, leading out of a cave of darkness into this, this springtime. And the second one here, we have the child, now a young boy, and he is holding the rudder. The angel is looking on, 
and he looks out into the distance. And what's wonderful is the way that the, the image moves you. When you stop and look at it, the first focus point is either the angel or the boy. And if you look at the angel, it points you to look at the boy. And then you look at the boy, you see he's controlling the rudder. What is he aiming at? The river goes on, and there's a path, and in the sky, in the clouds, there's this, this castle out here. And that's the way your eye naturally follows along with the boy up to the castle. But once your eye gets here, it stops, and it sinks back along the, a large tree on the side of the image. And as it sinks back, you notice something right in the back here. The river doesn't actually go up to the castle. The river turns around a bend that you can barely see, and you see the end where the river's going, and there are rapids and rocks just hinted at in the distance. So the image in its composition is telling us a story. It's talking about the experience of going from a youth to an adult. You start with these dreams of grandeur, and it looks like everything is going to be easy and everything's going to go your way. And that's when you realize and learn that things are more difficult. But even beyond the composition, the is even beyond the composition of story, the whole image feels balanced, it feels set well. We have a large tree on one side, and we have the castle on another side, balancing the image so that it appears pleasant in our mind. There's a clear idea of the distance of the river because you have a nice row of trees that have a linear perspective going out into this distance here. Now, I'm not saying that every single person needs to paint just like Thomas Cole. As cool as that would be, I love Thomas Cole. But being able to understand the theories of the, these things, being able to understand what functions allows you to think about it right. Imagine learning to play music without knowing what a chord was or a scale. It would be incredibly difficult. You could do it. You could do it. Some people do make music with no knowledge of chords and scales, and the good ones end up using and creating chords and scales. But by, by being able to look at people who came before us and learn their tricks, we're able to elevate our art. If you want to have a contrast in an image, well, what colors contrast each other? Green and red and blue, right? Those are green, red, blue are a natural good set of colors for things. And what do we have in this image? We have the blue sky illuminating the castle. We have the green of the forest all around him. And then we have the red, which is the boy himself. So the boy is able to pop out of the image because he contrasts with everything else. And the world above him in the sky with the white and blue is contrasted with the browns and greens of the world below. So you have a lot of these things that if you don't know these steps, you're going to have a much harder time. 
Another thing that you can see in this image is the use of details that match through images. Uh, I don't have the other images up, but there's an hourglass that this angel is holding. And at every single image, the hourglass, more sand has run through. And more sand has run through because time is going along. Wow. What else I noticed too, Inshal, about this image is, and it makes perfect sense in the natural world, but the boys entering the river has caused a ripple effect. Um, You know, it's just the natural way of entering into the water and creating ripples, but it strikes me that it's part of the movement. It's part of the impact of him living, him moving through the river. It just kind of yeah. a nice metaphor. No, that's great, right? He's causing changes to the thing around it. Mm-hmm. Around it. Mm. Yeah. No, it's just beautiful. Thank you, because it's so nice to have an illustration of the theories, um, to really be able to see how they work and, and why they're important. It does create an incredibly compelling sense of story and movement, as you described. Yeah, and I, th- I think that the theories you can learn in art come under two types. There are compositional theories, like the ones I've mentioned, which are about how do you frame your art? How do you set it up to work well? And this is helpful not just for sketching and painting. If you want to do photography and make it not look like mug shots, if you want to have an artistic rendering of a thing, knowing the way things are composed and the way things are set together and what balances what is really important. Yeah, it's funny because children love to make up the rules to games just spontaneously. They sense innately that they need rules to the games. And sometimes they spend their whole playtime just arguing about the rules and hammering them out. Like there's somehow they just know that you have to create a world together in order to enjoy something together. Um, but at the same time, we tend humanly to chafe against rules in a sense. Um, I, it's It's kind of interesting. I feel like that's what the modern art movement sort of was playing with at its beginnings was what happens if we break the rules? What could, what's, what else is possible? Um, What are you finding in your exploration of art theory as far as your own experiences, creating art, appreciating art? What, what has that opened for you? So it's funny thinking about uh, my experience of art because I really think of my wife as being the artist uh my my wife she does a lot of painting and artwork uh here's a painting that she made um it's an image of a of a girl going through up towards there's a dragon in the distance it's lovely because the earth around kind of highlights the dragon and then the similar contrast of the orange the orange helps bring that out oh yeah that's gorgeous is that an illustration for a story, or is it a, a separate piece of art? Uh, she just drew it because she was tired of working on a different project and wanted to take a break, so she spent an hour or two and made this. Oh my gosh, an hour or two. <laughs> That's so humbling. <laughs> yeah. Right now, one cool thing that she's working on, she's working on the Easter candle for our church. Uh, I have it. Oh. Uh, here so a lot of carving and 
Absolutely exquisite. Just stunning. For those of you listening, again, go to YouTube or Rumble where we have our Homeschool Connections channel and just take a look at this. The colors are so rich and beautiful. It's such a graceful design. And if you notice at the top, you have right, the hand of God the Father, uh, Christ here. And then when you get past the cross, you have this flame. And it's a little harder to see on the camera. But if you look at inside the white space of the flame, you have the dove of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, right? With yes. the wings outstretched, outstretched and the tail down. Yes, um, I can see it. It's like the negative space created by all yeah. the red splashes. It's gorgeous. All right, the, right, the Holy Spirit is... It's hard to see acting in our life, but huh. is there. Um, nice, nice. <laughs> kind of gives you the holy shivers just thinking about it. Actually, uh, my wife being an artist is one of the th things that makes the art theory class work so well. I have the students make something every class. That's their assignment. They are sketching something or maybe they're painting something or coloring something. And they're constantly doing that. And my wife and I go through all of these sketches and paintings and we give feedback to them and talk about how, what they can do to improve or where they can push themselves if they're doing well. So. And just to make clear to everybody, we're talking about a completely digital interaction. This is Homeschool Connections. This is your class, Drawing with Art Theory. And the kids are making art, submitting it digitally. And then you and your wife are reviewing, commenting, encouraging. Just want everyone to be aware of that, that what we're talking about here is an on online course that anybody can take from anywhere. And, yeah, as long and, as you, and you have, have a scanner or a, or a camera to take pictures of the things they draw. Yeah, and you do this at different levels too, right? You have beginner and intermediate. Yeah, I have a beginner one that is a big overview of everything, composition, body proportions, things like that. And then I have an intermediate one that really is focusing on the human person, uh, proportionality and drawing tricky things like hands and oh, things wow. like that. That's fantastic. So giving them this grounding in theory, we've touched on it a little bit, the power of using theories, but what kinds of differences do you see in the kids and what kinds of things do they say about what they're learning? Step us into what they get out of beginning with theory. So one of the things that they get, I, I mentioned that there's, there's two uh, types of things with art theory. There are compositional art, like with this like uh, mentioned with the thomas cole image but then there's also rules of art that don't have to do with composition as much as understanding proportionality and how to draw a particular thing a wonderful one i like to give as an example is drawing a human face right how do you draw a human face i mean simple we two eyes a nose a mouth that's the proportion when you actually start thinking about the proportions of the face, it's really interesting. And knowing these simple rules makes all the difference between drawing good-looking faces and creepy-looking faces. <laughs> I, I like to just tell them to, you're drawing a ball at the start, and then it's elongated down like an egg to give, give the area for the chin and the like. And then you can take that and box it in. Making yourself a box makes it easy to know where the proportions are. Over time, this becomes instinctual. 
So you put a line straight through the middle of the box. So you have a middle of the face. And you may wonder, what is in the middle of the face? Most people think the nose, right? Yeah, I would have thought so. The nose is not in the middle of the face. After drawing out, so I usually have them draw, as I have up here on the screen, a middle line and then a few other lines at the quarter marks and whatnot. But the middle of the face is where the eyes are. Oh. In fact, if you pause, if you stop and just look at look at our faces on the camera, you'll yeah. see that our, our eyes are in the middle of the face. Oh my gosh, you're right. It's yeah. not the nose. So when you draw the nose in the middle, you get these kind of weird forehead looking. <laughs> the other weird thing is that your eyes are a fifth of the width of your face. So you can imagine if you drew five eyes in a row. The middle two are your actual eyes. And there's one eye width in the middle of your eyes and then one on either side. Oh, interesting. And that's how you get eyes that are spaced correctly. Huh. I like it. It's Just like knowing the spacing of the different parts of the body allows you to place everything right so it feels and looks natural. Hmm. Yeah, that makes good sense. And for those of you listening, there are some really nice diagrams here that you might want to show your children. So definitely check out our YouTube or Rumble version of this podcast if you're listening. Very nice. Wow, that's so nice. It's kind of, it's simple and and it's a nice little formula they can follow. That's so good. In are the intermediate class, because we spend a lot more time on the human face, we actually go through and we do something on how to draw noses, how to draw eyes, how to draw lips, and then we put them all together on a face in the right proportions. Fun. Oh my gosh, this sounds like a just so much fun. And here's the thing. Beautiful. With art theory, it doesn't matter what your level of natural artistic talent is. This is helpful to anyone. If you can draw a perfect eye, that's great. But usually you can only draw a perfect eye in one way. Or maybe you can draw a perfect right eye, but when you draw the left eye, it looks wrong. Or you can draw perfect eyes, but you can't get them on the face just right. Mm -hmm. We naturally will learn these things on our own, working out through a lot of trial and error and get an intuitive sense of what something looks good or how something looks to look good. But being hearing the actual tips and tricks makes a big difference. Oh yeah. Absolutely empowering. Right. And once they know the tricks, of course they want to try them and they want, and kids will also, their natural teachers will go show off what they know and teach somebody else and kind of fun that way. Honestly, the hardest thing I have with the class is I have to give them a homework uh, cap. I say, do not spend more than this much time on homework so it doesn't consume your whole life for drawing, especially because my art classes, I usually do them in the summer. So the eight classes are four days and then four more days in two weeks. So there's just a lot all at once. Oh, that's, that's a good kind of, uh, that's a good perspective to have them just be aware of the rest of their life while they're diving into this. <laughs> what do they say to you? I, about what usually they'll complain. They'll want to spend longer time on their artwork. 
<laughs> That's pretty cool. And are they noticing? I mean, are they actually in, uh, you know, beginner and intermediate levels? Are you noticing that they're, they're intellectually making the connection between the theories and what they make possible? Definitely. And I can yeah. see from the beginning, the first class, I always just have them send me something that they've drawn. And then the last class, I can see their development and their growth, even in that short period of time. Yeah. Something as small as making a few thumbnails to test out some compositions before you commit to writing out, drawing out the whole thing. Wow. That makes a huge difference. So, Yeah, it gives them a whole cool. other perspective. I would think, too, greater, greater respect for artists who have dedicated their lives to it. Yeah. I think it's incredible what some people are able to achieve. And we sadly, we also, we just live in a society that doesn't value art very much. That's so true. Yeah. What, what other areas do you see as, you know, places to apply theory focused work? So if you have a good sense of art theory, you're going to do well in making catching catchy designs and things like that. As, as much as artists aren't thought of as being super important in our society nowadays, they actually do a lot. Logos and uh, advertisements and things like that all really understand the science of what makes something pop out, what makes something look good and interest you. When you learn the different rules of colors for art theory, you're going to find, oh, that's why every single logo looks like this, that, and the other thing. Um, and understanding that both is nice for yourself because you can look at different things that are presented to you and get an idea of why is it being presented like this? What is this trying to trigger in me as I see it? And then it also allows you to possibly get jobs in those fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting too, when you start to see the theories and how they work, we almost get a better sense of how God has designed us to perceive. Um, it, it might even open up a little bit of just self-awareness. Um, and also, because we're being so manipulated visually through, you know, interactions with media and, and all of that, that there's been a lot of discussion of, I would think that this kind of awareness, like what are the theories and how do they work and how do they just relate to my human nature, even my way of, of, of responding to something visual might lay the groundwork also for just being a better consumer. No, that's, that's exactly it. Understanding how your body operates in with the arts that it receives makes a huge difference and understanding things like perspective is going to help you when you see a photograph even there was a wonderful set of photographs where it was a group of people in a line it was right during the height of a lot of the uh, debates about covid and it was a bunch of people in a line and they all looked really crowded and packed in together and then it was the same exact line taken from a different angle and they're all standing over six feet apart from each other but just the angle and the way you can use the camera, you can make things look how you want. Mm -hmm. Wow, great But if point. you know tricks to make things look how you want, then you know what tricks can be used on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Inshal, tell us a little bit more about how the course works and anything else you'd like parents to know about 
what you're doing there. So I usually start with the question of why art? Fundamentally, why do you want to make art? And I talked a little bit about this before. The idea that there are things that the artist can see and bring out to other people. There's the ability for the artist to influence and move. The difference between something that looks beautiful and something that looks ugly is oftentimes the difference between someone thinking something is good or bad. There's a, there's a bit of a joke that the bad guys always look cooler than the good guys. Right? A lot of movies will, the bad guys will have a more interesting um, aesthetics and the like. And so people are attracted to that. People like that type of thing. We have a big problem in our modern culture of divorcing beautiful things and good and true things. Hmm. And we want to separate those things. Hmm. And this is, this is the job of the artist, to take the good thing, to take the beautiful thing, and to bring it out. Hmm. Now, that doesn't even have to be, oh, I only paint extremely serious metaphorical works. No, there are good and beautiful things that are silly and small. When, when you make a cartoon, of a cat rolling over, there is a beauty in, in cats that you are bringing out. There's a foolishness that happens with a cat chasing after a bit of yarn. That's an important experience for us to have. Mm-hmm. And so understanding those, uh, that's why I, I, I like to preface this whole thing. I don't expect a student to come through an art program and now uh, they're the next Thomas Cole or something like that. They're, that's not what I'm, I'm aiming at. But I want to give them the tools that the beautiful things they see, the beautiful things that appear in their mind, they can bring out and display. Now, unlike other art courses that will focus a lot on, okay, we're going to practice this type of thing and we're going to practice drawing a figure and we're going to just do draw a figure a hundred times or something like that. I don't focus on the practice aspect. I, I don't have time to do that. And that's oftentimes something that's better done on one's own practicing and reiterating again and again. But I try to distill what are the points that are needed the most to well understand art and build up your own ability with art. We tend to kind of, most classes I've seen will do one or the other. You'll have an art theory class where we look at different artists and we appreciate their art and we say, wow, here's the golden ratio and here's uh, color composition. and, And you just look at it and say, that's really awesome. Cool. And then you have, art classes that are saying, well, you're going to do some art and we're just going to practice art with you guys. And there's no theory component. There's nothing helping actually instruct. Art isn't such a loose thing like modern artists want to say it is. There are rules to what our eye finds beautiful. There are rules to what is balanced in the world. And if we don't recognize that, well, 
we're going to throw a paint can through a jet engine and let that land on a canvas and say, that was super cool. That's art. And it'll sell for several billion dollars. So <laughs> I think you're on to something there and show. <laughs> I just need to find a jet. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is just so much fun. It just gives such um I don't know, just a kind of a fresh but really practical way of approaching it that we can start with understanding, we can move from there into taking what's beautiful in us and in our thoughts and and kind of laying them out and, and playing with it, toying with it, experimenting. And as you said, hopefully not missing out on the sunshine of the day because we fell so deeply into that contemplation, <laughs> but it almost, or more like meditation, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> And also, even your your natural artistic abilities aren't what matters here, because you want to draw stick figures. Well, understanding body proportions is the difference between stick figures that look correct and stick figures that look wrong. Understanding composition and image is going to be the difference between a set of stick figures that looks interesting or looks boring. So mm. even if that's all you draw, you're going to gain things from this type of understanding. Yeah, and then I, I can just imagine kids not only coming up with their own stuff to use these theories with, just to kind of be in the theory a little bit, but also then moving out into the natural world and noticing that those row of trees along their street have that same perspective thing that they noticed in the Thomas Cole painting and so forth. Like there's design and order and a way of seeing oh. that now they can relate to the real world, which is kind of your specialty, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, that's fundamentally, that's why we learn things. We learn things to better understand the world around us and the depth that's present there. Yeah. I find learning something like the golden ratio, it's... It's similar to when you learn a new word and then all of a sudden you hear that word all over the place. Everyone's just using it. <laughs> and it's not because people are using it more than they used to. You've just gotten an ear. You understand it now and you can notice these things. Mm. Yeah, that is really cool. It's almost like now that you have it, your brain is asking new questions and and it's getting that echo of that new word back, something like that. Um, yeah, so any final thoughts to leave us with, Enshaw, with this fascinating topic? I think the biggest thing I want to leave people with is if you like art, if you like Specifically, this is visual arts, right? We can talk about poetry and other things as other types of art. But if you like visual arts, learning the rules and patterns that inform the function of art, learning the rules of what makes something pleasing to the eyes will help you leaps and bounds over what you can do normally. And whatever your skill level is, this is a great thing to learn. And this is a great way to improve yourself. Praise God. All right. And so you are teaching this course this summer, Inchel? I'm teaching this course, and then I also have it on recording uh, as a recorded set of recorded courses that you can take whenever. Okay. All right. So what we'll do is I'll include the link to our current catalog for those who hear this in the next few weeks, and we'll have time to, to get signed up for that course. What's your start date on that, Inchel? 
Uh, I do not remember off the top of my head. Okay, what month it do you remember? It is May. In May. Okay, so we'll let's hopefully get this up before May, so people <laughs> can hop right in there and have their kids have this beautiful eye-opening experience. And as soon as I said that, I thought eyes in the middle of the face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Inshallah, thank you so much. You're a very busy guy and a very creative guy, and I really appreciate your time. Um, thank you to you and your family that spared you for this half hour or so that we got to enjoy talking with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Everybody, in the show notes, you'll find Inshal Shanae's courses, a link to Homeschool Connections, also directly to the course catalog. And as soon as we can, after this audio version goes live, we'll also include a link to the video version so you can see the beautiful pictures. All right, everybody, thanks so much, and stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. I'm Dave Palmer, an instructor with Homeschool Connections. I teach a class called An Introduction to the Summa Theologia by St. Thomas Aquinas. And in these short videos, we are journeying through the Summa, and I'm picking out some of the more interesting parts of it, and hopefully you're enjoying this. And today we are going to talk about the four kinds of law as explained by St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologia. And this is really interesting, and I think people find this very intriguing. What are the laws and what are the purpose of them? Okay, the first of the laws that St. Thomas Aquinas talks about is the eternal law. And the easiest way to explain the eternal law is basically it's anything that's true, okay? So if there's something that's true, it's part of the eternal law. Simple enough, right? Thomas says, a law is nothing else but a dictate of practical reason emanating from the ruler who governs a perfect community. Now it is evident, granted, that the world is ruled by divine providence, God, that the whole community of the universe is governed by divine reason. Wherefore, the very idea of government of things in God, the ruler of the universe, has the nature of a law. And of course, God is perfect truth and uh, perfect reason, so anything that's true would fall under the the example of the eternal law, like the laws of science and gravity and math and morality and human development. So probably one of the easier ones to explain. If it's true, it's part of the eternal law. So then we go into natural law. What is natural law? And it's a subset of the eternal law. And if you are a rational creature, which means you and I, because we are rational creatures, we have in us kind of an innate sense of right and wrong. We know certain laws that are just kind of built into us, so we don't have to be taught by them. Imagine, like in the picture here, you see a child on a railroad track and you hear a train coming. Okay, we naturally know that we want to protect innocent life. We don't have to go running to our Bible to figure out how to do that or ask advice. We just know that. We know to protect innocent life in the womb and, um, and to take care of our parents, right? Now, I put a bird on there because natural law only refers to rational creatures. And even though a bird kind of knows to build a nest and do things, that's not natural law. Maybe natural law with a little end, but not a big end, right? So Thomas says, uh, among all others, the rational creature is subject to divine providence in the most excellent way, insofar as it partakes of a share of providence by being provident both of itself and for others. Wherefore, it has a share of the eternal reason. Isn't that cool? Wherefore, whereby it has a natural inclination to its proper act and end 
end, and this participation of the eternal law in the rational creature is called the natural law. Okay, we just kind of know uh, what is right and what is wrong. Human law, well, that's the part of the natural law that we use to make rules. Okay, so human laws, you know, gun laws or immigration laws or, uh, you know, uh, trespassing, speed limits, you know, curfews, you know, whatever. It's, it's, as long as they conform to natural law, they are good laws. And if they don't conform to natural law, then they are bad laws. And you could probably think of some bad laws out there. I won't get into specifics, but, uh, you know, again, that's the, 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 the way that we can tell if something is a good law or not is does it conform to natural law that we just kind of instinctively know what is right and wrong. Okay, was there a need for a divine law? This is the fourth kind of law now. And divine law is interesting because of us being human beings and how Thomas explains it a whole lot better than I can. These are the laws that we find in sacred scripture, sacred doctrine, the laws of the church that are given to us by God through Holy Mother Church. And uh, the way Thomas explains this is very interesting. He says, It is by law that man is directed how to perform his proper acts in view of his last end. But since man is ordained to an end of eternal happiness, which is inproportionate to man's natural faculty, therefore it was necessary that besides the natural and the human law, man should be directed to his end by a law given by God. Okay, because we have an, a supernatural end, we are called to an end that exceeds and surpasses our nature. We have to be given laws like being told about heaven and hell and, you know, the, the bodily resurrection, the Holy Trinity. These are things that we would never figure out on our own, but we're taught and then we assent to them in faith because it's conducive to our final end to believe in it. Okay, so those are the four kinds of law, according to St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologia. Thanks so much for watching. I'm Dave Palmer, a professor of philosophy with Homeschool Connections. God bless you. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.